When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search. But what if you could get rid of the search and just match? You can with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Let's jump into Peppa's world of play. Look for spring flowers, hunt for muddy puddles, and bravely explore exciting places with Peppa play sets. Peppa Pig, inspiring kid confidence. You're listening to the First in Football podcast celebrating 150 years of Princeton Tigers football. Welcome to the First in Football podcast. I'm Jerry Price. I am here with Princeton head football coach Bob Sarace. And coach, welcome. Thanks, Jerry. So a tough one against Dartmouth on Saturday at Yankee Stadium. A lot to talk about with that game and a lot to talk about coming up Saturday when Yale will be here. Uh, Princeton-Yale Saturday, 1 o'clock kickoff on Powers Field. Let us start with what happened last Saturday, uh, the game against Dartmouth, the end of the 17-game winning streak, the Big Green winning the game 27-10. to And let's talk first before the game itself, let's talk a little bit about the event itself and just the, you know, the whole stepping out onto the field on Friday and your players and the experience and all of those things. I mean, just when I stepped out onto that field, it's the first time I was ever in the new stadium. When I stepped out on the field, I was like, wow, this, is, this place is a little bit different. Yeah, my, uh, you know, I, I, I said it to a few people, everything but the outcome was exceptional. Uh, first class, the Yankees event staff, first class. My wife, you know, she went to the events, best event she's ever been to. The, the support we had, people who came in uh, to support our team, our, our, our program, our university, it was just amazing. And, you, you know, you wish we would have uh, performed better on that stage. For a facility that's built baseball only, it looked pretty good for football. The field fit nicely. And the stands, even though they're facing home plate, it put the people sort of it made it loud. Uh, you know, the, 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 the crowd was good on both sidelines, and it made for a pretty good, uh, intense environment. Yeah, when there was a third down or fourth down, it got loud. 
Like, I think some of the other parts of the game, everybody was seeing friends for the first. It's like reunions. They hadn't seen their friends in, in a while. So on both ends, it wasn't quite the same loudness at the beginning. Or It got to be a third and two. It got loud. So one of the things that, and I don't know if you really had a chance to notice this, but as I walked around the stadium, especially on the concourse, and really especially when you walk through the lower levels where the locker rooms were, were the pictures, the old baseball pictures, the old Yankees, these giant pictures of Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig and Joe DiMaggio and Yogi Berra and Mickey Mantle and all these greats. I don't even like the Yankees. I may start to like them a little more after that experience. <laughs> you, are a, you are someone who loves the Yankees. Did you get a chance? Were you so focused on what you had to do, or did you get a chance to appreciate I, all that? I, I didn't this week, but in the other times leading up to this game, the first time uh, the, the Yankees event staff had us in, you know, to go around and tour, we went around their suite section, and every single suite is numbered. Every player who wore that number, Number two, you got Derek Jeter and everybody before him who wore that number. And if you're in that suite, you got to feel like, man, there's so much history. They respect it. They honor it. And it's done better than any other venue I've ever been to. Yeah, I did notice that where they had the names of all the players who had worn that number. That was pretty, that was a very cool thing. Um, let's talk about the game. At what point do you get the sense as a coach that it's not going to be your day? I mean, team was, was you, you got, you, some uncharacteristic things, the turnovers uh, led them to uh, points, but your team's been behind at half before and come back twice to win against Columbia and Harvard. Uh, had some momentum going in at halftime. When, when were you thinking, you know, this, is, this just isn't the day? Well, well, I don't know if that was the thought as much as we're making this challenge even harder. You know, Dartmouth is a tremendous team, and, and then when we have some detail errors that we just can't afford to have – you're playing uphill and you know it just snowballed a little bit in the first quarter um, and we couldn't just get in rhythm in certain areas and they're a really good team so that combination made it such a big challenge and we just weren't able to get uh, over the hump with that. One of the things that I came away from that game wondering is what would have happened if instead of the turnover on the fumble that would have been first and goal at the five or the six Suppose you cash that one in at 7-7 because that would have been kind of similar to where last year's game was at the same time, which is Dartmouth seemed to be in control in the beginning, and then a drive answered that, and it would have been 7-7. I wonder what kind of game that might have been at that point. Yeah, the if game and, you know, as coaches when the season ends and you, you look through those things. I go through every drive. What broke down? Win, lose, you go through every drive. What broke down when we didn't score? And then what happened when we let up scores? And you know, we have to be more precise in what we're doing against a team that is that good. And, you know, we got some work to do, and we got our work cut out for us against a Yale team that I, I believe is playing as well as anybody. They're, they're playing as well as anybody in the country right now. Yeah, Yale is 7-1 and one coming here. I think it's kind of interesting to me because last week it was 7-0 and oh against 7-0. and oh. This week it's 7-1 and one against 7-1. and one. Uh, Just a couple of more thoughts from last week. One is, you know, Dartmouth's very good. They're obviously very good when you watch them play. Uh, they do so many things that, that uh, you can, you know, even though clearly we're, we're all, we on this side, we're all rooting for Princeton, you can really sort of appreciate uh, watching a team like that. Uh, at the end of a game like that, it's not like you went out, I think, and, and your streak ended against a team that you thought, you know, how, how did we lose to that team? I think that when your streak ends, it's going to end some point. When it ends to a team that is as solid as Dartmouth, you sort of have to just 
handle it the way you guys handled it after the game, which is give them the credit and, and move on. I think that, you know, we'll talk about the streak in a minute, but am, am I correct in that? Yeah, I think, you know, you look at the last four games, there's such a healthy respect between our two programs and where our programs are. And I, I said to Buddy before the game, I said, when I got here in 2010, they wanted to run him out of town because they had had seasons where they went 0-10. And, and certainly we didn't start off great in the first two years I was here as head coach. And for our two programs to be on this pedestal, it, it really means a lot to all the people who were there when we weren't successful and kept the culture and kept fighting for us to get to this point. So let's talk a little bit about the streak. It ends at 17 consecutive wins. That is the fourth longest streak in the history of the program. It, it's tied for the fourth longest streak. The only longer streaks were the school record of 24, which was from 1949 to 1952, and then a streak of 19 and a streak of 18 in the 1800s. So for your team to put together 17 straight wins, I know it, it's bitter when it ends, but maybe when you take a step back, can you really appreciate the historic significance of it? Yeah, as much as historical, um, which I love the history part, it's how a team prepares week in, week out, and how consistent that preparation is. And, how, you know, you this league, from top to bottom, you can't take an opponent lightly or you're going to lose our non-conference schedule. If you take an opponent lightly, if you just show up on a Tuesday and roll the ball out, you're not going to be successful. And it really shows how from the support staff, the coaches, most importantly the players, how much they put into the preparation. So the preparation this week turns to Yale. You mentioned uh, how, how uh, good the uh, Bulldogs are playing. Their only loss also is to Dartmouth. It looked a little bit after that game that they might be on a bit of a shaky ground, but then they had that great last-minute win over Richmond, and they've been rolling since. Yeah, since the second half of the Richmond game. I don't know if anybody's playing better. I can't. I mean, I don't watch North Dakota State. I don't watch those teams. But the way they have played, the way they have executed, they got some guys back healthy that maybe weren't there early in the year. They are playing not good football. They are playing exceptional so you start off with their quarterback, Kurt Rawlings, who uh, a week ago was Gerbino. Different kind of challenge. Rawlings is, I don't know, I think four times he's been the Ivy League Player of the Week on offense and putting up big numbers, throwing the ball. What, what challenged? But he's also their leading uh, leader in uh, rushing touchdowns and second leading rusher. How big is the challenge that he presents? Yeah, he, he's a four-year starter. He was hurt against us last year, missed the last couple of games. And his ability to throw the ball accurately, throw the ball accurately down the field. They take shots more often than most teams we played with some great receivers. And then when he's in the backfield in a read-run situation with uh, Dudek, who was back to playing player of the year level when he was a freshman, and Alan Lamar, those two guys in particular, this is a dynamic and explosive offense. Uh, you know, a couple of four-year starters on their offensive line. Um, they, 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 there's not a hole in what they're doing. So the, uh, the big question, I think, it becomes when you have a loss like you had, what is it like to try to pump the team back up again after that? And I, I know you spoke about it directly after the game, but what's the team's attitude been in the first few days of the week? Yeah, so Sunday we come in, no matter what, you watch the film, you make corrections, and then by the time dinner hits, you move forward to the next game. And that's the only way you can do things consistently 
And then you come back in and you put a game plan together. And Tuesday, you start to execute that game plan. And uh, our guys, partly because it was the coldest practice we've had, um, they were running. I mean, that was awesome. Our enthusiasm yesterday, you did not want to sit still um, on both sides of the ball, the scout teams. Guys were flying around the field. And, you know, we got a group of guys that love football. So at the end of the day, whether it's a spring practice or a workout or preparing for a team that is as outstanding as Yale, our guys come ready and, and, and excited for it. So it's Princeton-Yale. It's uh, in addition to the next game, in addition to two seven one teams, it's Princeton's oldest rival. Uh, you know, so a lot of big rivalry stuff going on. You, you had Dartmouth last week. Now you have Yale. You finish up with Penn, who's another big rival. So a lot of big games left to be played here for Princeton as the season uh, comes to the final two weeks. And I can't believe it's the final two weeks already. It flies by, doesn't it? It goes fast, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. And so kickoff, 1 o'clock on Powers Field. Coach Serace, thanks for being with us, and good luck. Thanks, Jerry. For Princeton Head Football Coach Bob Serace, Jerry Price, thank you for joining us on the First in Football podcast, and we'll be back with more right after this. The Alchemist and Barrister is proud to present the First in Football podcast each week throughout the Princeton Tigers football season. Check out the newest menu edition at the A&B, breakfast on Saturdays and Sundays from 9 a.m. to 12.30, better known as Feed the Day, highlighting their specialty omelets, eggs your way, French toast, and drink specials. Visit the Alchemist and Barrister in the heart of Princeton and online at theanb.com. The Alchemist and Barrister, well known as the Cheers of Princeton, is proud to present the First in Football podcast and support the Princeton Tigers. Back on the First in Football podcast, week nine edition, presented as always by the Alchemist and Barrister. Cody Cruchel here with Tigers assistant head coach, recruiting coordinator, and tight ends coach Mike Willis. Mike, thanks for spending some time with us. We're recording this on a Monday morning. Happy to be here, Cody. Uh, score aside, 27-10, the loss to Dartmouth Saturday. Take me through that experience at Yankee Stadium. Great crowd, two 7-0 teams, and I know you're a New Jersey guy and you grew up a Yankees fan. Yeah, so uh, first off, uh, we have to thank the Yankees for being such a first-class organization from the Friday walkthrough to the lunch they put on for us, uh, the attention to detail in the pregame and in the locker room, uh, the NYPD and uh, NJ State Troopers who gave us a police escort to the game, which isn't a normal thing for an Ivy League football game. It was awe-inspiring, uh, the teamwork that they showed in getting us there without our bus ever having, even having to hit the brakes. Um, it, was, it, was, it was amazing. And then I'd also obviously like to give a shout-out to our fans and our alums who traveled in from all over the country and all over the world as far as Thailand. And I'm sure I might be missing people who made even longer jersey, uh, journeys if there's any alums from Antarctica or anything like that. Um, the environment, the game was incredible. Uh, the fans were loud. They were engaged. Obviously, the experience for our coaches and our players is soured, as you mentioned, a little bit by the outcome because we all set out to win, especially in a game like that, to put on the best show that we possibly can uh, for our fans and our alums. But the way the community rallied around us, the first-class organization that are the New York Yankees, uh, it was impressive to be a part of, and uh, uh, we can't thank everyone around us for uh, for rallying for rallying around us the way they did. It was awesome. It was a pretty good day for Princeton tight ends. Carson Bobo, eight catches, 69 yards. He was the game's leading receiver as far as catches. And then Graham Adamitis hauls in Princeton's lone touchdown catch. I want to sort of talk about some of the guys in the tight end room. Let's start with Carson Bobo. Didn't play a snap last year on offense for the Tigers as a freshman. Comes in here, and he's one of the Tigers' leading receivers. I know he had some power five, preferred walk-on offers, kind of turned into a, a playmaker and a guy that if you're game planning defensively, you have to keep an eye out on. 
Uh, yeah, Carson's evolution has been uh, very impressive to watch and is a credit to him more than anything else. Uh, his recruitment uh, was slower by virtue of the fact that he was a very late bloomer in high school. He weighed uh, 170 pounds, I believe, the summer of his junior year going into high school and played his junior year as an athletic but ultra skinny tight end, uh, was not receiving a lot of college looks, had a spectacular senior year where he burst onto the scene. But with the nature of Division One recruiting moving further and further up, there were very few teams who had spots left as he established himself as, you know, a national recruited tight end. And we were fortunate enough that we had a spot uh, late in the process. Uh, uh, everyone had such good things to say about him at school. And he was still a raw, still relatively skinny individual, but he was very smart. He played very hard. He had this competitive fire about him that was evident. And uh, that has translated to his football development here, where he went from one of the smaller guys in stature in the room, tall but lean, to someone who now weighs over 235 pounds. That's a credit to how hard he worked in the spring and in the summer. He was an excellent football player as a freshman in spring ball, which is very rare, and then had a training camp where he was competing against guys like Jeremiah Tyler and doing well, and you're always hopeful that those things will translate to the game field. But sometimes for a young player, uh, the moment is big, uh, or moments are big, and it takes a while. And he's made a very uh, seamless transition into playing for us. And in the game, what I was – most proud of is, is uh, though he did have a, uh, a fumble in the game and there were a number of players and coaches who made mistakes and were reflecting on that during the week. He rallied back to have a tremendous second, third, and fourth quarter in the game, not just catching the ball. His statistics, uh, it was evident that he made an impact there, but his block, he had the best blocking game he's had as a Princeton Tiger against a front that you know provide, caused challenges and problems for us and caused challenges for every team they've played this year. So uh, I think the future is bright for him. I think he's hungry like all of us to bounce back and starting with a great uh, Tuesday morning meeting and a, a great week of practice. And uh, it's been exciting to coach him as it relates to Graham. Uh, Graham is everything that you want in a leader, consummate professional. Uh, you know, he's not a professional, but he has a consummate professional attitude on the team as a fifth year player. And as a captain, uh, he like Carson developed a lot in college. He was only about 215 pounds when he entered in his freshman year and he's now 256 pounds. He's an asset in the blocking game. He's an asset in the passing game when called upon, uh, made an excellent play. And then uh, Sam Johnson, the other tight end who's playing a lot right now, uh, is maybe the most improved player that I've ever been around. He played sparingly as a freshman and sophomore. He had a critical situational role last year, playing you know five to ten snaps a game, but it very rarely went more than that unless the score was out of hand. And now he's turned into essentially a third starter at tight end. You know, we're a, we're a base two tight end team, but he rotates in regularly for Graham and for Carson in all sorts of situations, playing 40 to 50 plays a game, which is more than many tight ends in the country. And his blocking has really, really shined, but he's made some incredible plays in the past game, which wasn't a hallmark uh, of his game going forward. And I think that's a credit to how hard he's worked as well. So what makes those guys a joy to coach is that they care. Uh, they practice tremendously hard. They prepare very hard, and uh, it's shown up for them on Saturdays. Uh, they're excited to make improvements going into this week and uh, excited to tackle a great opponent in Yale. You talked about how hard Sam Johnson's had to work to get into this situation where he's playing so many meaningful snaps. As a coach up in the booth on game day, let's go back to that game at Brown a few weeks ago. Sam catches his first career touchdown pass late in that one. What's going through your head having watched him his first four years here? Well, I, I was just thrilled for him, and we do talk in the tight end room. We, we've been fortunate to have really, really, really good receivers here uh, during the tenure of all of these tight ends we've talked about, and that has mean that at times the tight ends haven't touched the ball quite as much. I mean, Jesper and Steve are receivers here. Steve turned into a hybrid player last year, and now they're all playing in the NFL at tight end. Uh, so we take pride in doing our job, running good routes, blocking hard, uh, but being ready when called upon, being prime time ready, we talk about all the time, and that was a 
prime time ready play by Sam. He ran very hard. He ran the back line. Our receivers coach, Brian Flynn, talks about how the ball finds energy in a football game, meaning that if you just keep playing hard, the ball does tend to come your way. And he ran a great drag. Uh, he was open, but it was a difficult catch by virtue of having to hug the back end line. And uh, it was a great throw by Kevin. And I, I, I was thrilled for the kid because he's worked hard and those moments are meaningful for them. That is something that he'll remember for the rest of his life. You've grown up with this program. You were a player on the 2013 Ivy League championship team, came back in 2016 as an assistant coach, and then last year adding the title of assistant head coach and now also the recruiting coordinator. Talk about just sort of your evolution and how your role has changed within this Princeton football program. Yeah, I grew up with Princeton. Uh, I was in Coach Therese's uh, uh, first recruiting class here. Uh, I still vividly remember meeting him in his office after he got the job and then him coming and visiting my home with my parents. Uh, he's been a transformational figure in my life for the better part of a decade, you know, nine of uh, 10 years and, and uh, nine straight, really, that I've been involved with the program. I joked that my year after college, when I thought I wanted to be a lawyer, was my year abroad. Um, and he also helped me navigate the football world when I was trying to leave my uh, desk job in New York City to come back. Uh, fortunately, a spot opened up here as an off-the-field, you know, catch-all intern, have, you know, operations, breaking down film, whatever you can do to gain game experience, working a lot with Steve Verbin and learning about the defensive side of the ball. And then I was fortunate uh, to catch a break when there was an opening for the tight ends job shortly before spring ball a few years ago. And uh, I'm thrilled to have added responsibility. I'm thrilled to keep growing in this program. But I think my growth, the growth of all our players, the growth of all of the assistants, many of whom have left and gone on to do unbelievable things during Bob's time here, uh, is a credit to Bob and to the program he builds. Uh, and I think I to be able to play that kind of role for our players is something that is really, really, really special to me. I love coaching football. I'm sure I like doing it at a lot of places, but I love doing it here and uh, working for Bob. I feel like a lot of college football coaches at some point thought they wanted to do something outside of football or never really thought coaching was a realistic career option. Kind of interesting. You talk about trying to go to law school and thinking that maybe you wanted to be a lawyer. Take us through that experience. And what about that sort of made you realize, I think I want to give coaching a try. So you're right that it is extremely normal for a lot of college football coaches to have tried something else. I think one of the reasons that happens is one, you're right. It often seems unrealistic to make it your full-time profession. And uh, the, the, uh, the other thing that I think is really important sometimes about having another job is it gives you an appreciation for how fun it is to love your job every day. Uh, I was a legal assistant in New York City. I got the job because a fantastic alum of ours, Rob Freeman, uh, hired me uh, to be a paralegal. And it was my dream job. It was at Proskauer Rose in New York City. It's a spectacular law firm. Uh, but I found out very quickly that corporate law just wasn't for me. And I confided in him that I was spending my free time thinking about football and thinking about uh, thinking about uh, all of the things that I missed about the game. He encouraged me to take a leap and try coaching. Coach Race encouraged me to do the same thing. And uh, it, uh, that experience has certainly given me a deep, deep, deep appreciation for how, fun it, for how fun it is to coach. And it's especially fun and meaningful for me to do it at Princeton. Uh, I, I, just, I just love working here. I love being around the people. I love uh, being part of the fabric of this community that I grew up in. And, uh, and getting to help raise the next generation of guys on and off the field is really special to me. Princeton and Yale Saturday Senior Day final home game of the 2019 season for the Tigers. Last year, Princeton winning a shootout up at the Yale Bowl, 59-43. to Tell us what you've seen so far from the Bulldogs. So the, the great part about uh, having a chance 
you get a chance to have a clean slate every week, but it's especially meaningful after a loss, facing some adversity. And what's really exciting about this week is as a competitor, you want to be challenged each and every week. You, you do want to play the best competition possible. And we are playing a really fabulous team in the 7-1 uh, and one Yale Bulldogs. Uh, while as an, as an offensive coach, I don't spend much time watching the other team's offense just throughout the year and scouting other defenses. I've gained an appreciation for how well they're playing on that side of the ball. Their quarterback, their receivers, their running backs, their offensive line, their tight ends are executing at a really high level, and the box score tells a story. They're scoring a lot of points, and they have a lot of explosive plays. Where my attention and the attention of all of our offense staff is turned is just how well they're playing on defense. And what stands out is that they are very athletic, they are very aggressive in the way that they cover, and they pressure you, and they challenge you. Uh, Most college defenses play with one, maybe two personnel groupings uh, that are pretty predictable and who's going to be on the field and Yale is just the opposite Yale functions a lot like an offense might where they have multiple personnel groupings with different tendencies some of which are very very challenging to pick they're going to spin uh, eight or nine D linemen they're going to spin full new groups of linebackers they're going to play a lot of uh, young athletic DBs uh, and they're going to challenge you to execute at a very high level because their energy their effort their enthusiasm and their multiplicity challenges the offense every week and uh, that that's fun for us as coaches because it's challenging to get the guys ready And it's especially fun for the players because they get to uh, prepare and execute at a high level against a really unique defense. Mike, good luck Saturday. Enjoyed catching up with you. Thanks, Cody. Really appreciate being here. That was Princeton tight ends coach Mike Willis. That'll do it here on the Week 9 edition of the First in Football podcast. Again, Princeton, a 1 o'clock kickoff Saturday afternoon against Yale at Powers Field. Final home game of the season, senior day for Princeton. And a reminder, you can catch the First in Football podcast new episodes every Wednesday during the season. The First in Football podcast is presented by the Alchemist and Barrister. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you.